Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. So if you're a professional or corporate worker, today's guest specializes in just helping them find purpose, helping them find value in what they're doing. You know, in some cases, it might be a pay rise. In other cases, it might be just a complete shift in thinking altogether. But he's got over a 1,000 hours of intensive experience, just performance coaching these types of clients. And prior to starting his coaching business, he served four years in the Australian Army He spent eight years as a senior project manager for companies such as HP, PwC, where he learned the art of leadership through his early mentors. Then at 25, feeling completely unfulfilled with his corporate life, he left a high-profile job and he went on a solo journey to Africa for six months where during this time, he did a bit of soul searching and he found a lot of answers through some personal development books, which I'm sure we'll talk about today as well. So when he returned to Australia, he actually tripled his salary. So he landed a job paying 200 grand a year. And at this point, he was still only 25 years of age. So he also went on to accumulate a million dollars property portfolio. And he credits this to his personal development concepts that he learned throughout his journey. So sharing his learnings on social media, he grew a following of young men also seeking answers in this area. And this led him to organically start coaching. And then in 2019, He decided to pull the pin. He resigned from his corporate life for good, pursuing his coaching business full-time. And as of 2022, he gratefully lives in Sydney with his fiancée, Anna, and he runs meditation sessions, workshops, retreats, and private coaching programs specific to men. Dim Harper, thanks for coming on to the Limitless Man podcast. Simon, what a beautiful intro. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, man. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. You're going to resonate with a lot of people, no doubt, because there are a lot of corporate people that listen to my podcast. So people that have perhaps been in corporate for many years, perhaps their whole careers. Now, like I said, some of these people might be quite happy with other areas of their life, and maybe they just want a different position within that sector. Um, others perhaps want to you know, pivot. They might want to move altogether. Some perhaps aren't finding value at all in what they're doing. And this can obviously lead to some destructive behaviors, maybe, you know, overindulging on alcohol, drugs in some cases. It's all relative. It's all dependent on the unique circumstances that people are going through. So just paint us the picture, my man. Like tell us about your lead up to your corporate life. Um, now you're from or your family origins, Sri Lankan. Is that correct? correct. Yeah. Yes. So tell us about your upbringing because obviously me being Italian, I had a quite a unique upbringing that was very cultural and no yes. doubt there might be some parallels or similarities there as well. So go for it, man. Yeah, man. Look, look, I mean, without, without talking for too long, um, you know, I spent, I've been to eight different schools actually. I don't even know if I even men- mentioned that to you, but nah. when I was, you know, in, in primary school, we moved around a lot. Um, a lot of the times I was the only, uh, you know, non-white kid in, you know, or, or ethnic kid uh, where I was growing up. So I, I often felt, um, yeah, a little bit left out or a little bit like I didn't belong um, as I was growing up. 
Um, I grew up in country New South Wales for a while. Um, but all of these kind of formative experiences are, you know, what we say in personal development is your voids become your values. Mm. So uh, part of my upbringing was um, getting bullied a lot, to be honest, um, between ages, um, mostly between ages uh, six and about 14 years old, I was like profusely bullied by, by kind of different kids. Um, and um, what that makes you feel or made me feel at the time was feeling a bit isolated uh, and also feeling like I just kind of wasn't enough um, and also feeling like um, I just didn't understand because always the kids that were bullying me, they were older than me. And as a result, uh, the voids that he created was like not feeling like I belonged, feeling like I didn't understand what everyone else did um, and and feeling like I was always being put down. And, and that's yeah. what led to me valuing uh, lifting people up and helping people understand and connecting them to community. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about my upbringing, but from a cultural perspective, uh, I mean, that really, the, the weight of it actually really kicked in, I would say uh, after uni, during uni and after uni, because um, when I finished, like for me, I'm really sure this is like similar with you, man. It's like, um, you, the idea is you, you go to a good school so mm. you can get into a good uni, so then you can get a good job, so then you can find a good wife, so then you can have good kids and then let the cycle repeat. That's the, Is that correct? Yeah, you? that's pretty much it. And that's how it was <laughs> for me. And it's completely understandable though because, see, my parents didn't have that opportunity. So it meant, that, it meant the world to them to give me that opportunity and they, and they gave it to me on a platter, really. They did everything they, they possibly could to make that happen for me. It just wasn't really what I wanted to do. So... Um, it was, it took me a little while to sort of work out my path. And I'm just curious then, it sounds like you went through a similar sort of experience. And I'm, I'd imagine that your parents would have been pushing you as well, you know, through the education system and to make yes. sure that you, you ticked all those boxes, which again, if that's what you want to do, I think it's awesome because, you know, the world needs everyone. We need all sorts of people. But, you know, if it's not what you want to do, then that's when you, you have big problems then. So, yeah. Yes, yes. And, um, and that definitely happened to me as well. Uh, because I was doing, um, I started off uni doing aero engineering. Um, but I was, yeah, I, I wasn't enjoying it. And um, I was slowly developing a reputation with um, not only my parents, but my parents, friends, kind of the aunties, the uncles, like the people that you grow, like the culture that you grow up around as the kid that just never seemed to be happy because mm. I, I got into uni and I didn't like it. And then I dropped out of aero to do commerce. Um, and then I, I kind of got through that and got into corporate and I was saying I didn't like it. And, uh, and they were just observing me never seeming to be happy, um, you know, in what I was doing. And, and, and as you kind of alluded to, the boiling point for me was when I was 25. Because what happened was um, because of my army experience, I was in a senior role pretty early on because, you know, being an infantry officer in the army is the same as being a project manager. It's like pretty much the same principles. Yeah. So, so at an early age, relatively early age, I achieved what on LinkedIn looks like a lot. But for me, I'm like, you know what, this is enough that this is the stuff that everyone else is aspiring towards and I've done it and I still think it's not for me. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I left everything to to go to the Africa thing as you as you yeah. uh, beautifully introduced. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about the army first. Initially, we'll get to Africa as well, but yes. four years in the army. So what did you learn there? Did you learn any valuable skill sets? You said that your job was very similar to what you were doing 
at HP yes. as a project manager? Yes. Look, I, I think, look, two, two of the most valuable skills I got out of that was leadership uh, and the other one was discipline. To be honest, I got so many skills out of it. Um, but confidence was another one, you know, because they teach you how to, um, they put you in the leadership position. Um, they, they kind of cycle everyone through and you have to practice speaking up. You have to practice being decisive. You have to practice setting a vision um, and speaking about it with confidence and certainty so you can instill it in others. Um, so, I mean, there are immeasurable um, rewards that I got out of, out of um, you know, that experience. But um, something that I think will be very re- relevant for people listening um, is discipline. It's, mm. it's simply just doing what you said you're going to do when you said you were going to do it, regardless of how you feel, whether you feel like it or not. Um, and so many, like I take that to this morning, you know, this is over 13 years later mm. uh, where this morning I have a morning routine and I don't feel like, you know, I, I, I walk to that exercise bike in the morning and I definitely do not feel like sitting on it, mm. but you know, when it comes to, to success, like part of success or progress or fulfillment, even part of it is the inner stuff, which is, you know, aligning to what you really value and what you really care about. I'm sure we'll talk about it. But the other part is just having the discipline to execute it, regardless of whether you feel like it or not. So that's another skill. And then probably the third one, and this is actually my first ever introduction to personal development, um, was leadership, you know, because, at 18 years old, uh, I was sitting at this thing called the Officer Selection Board, which is like, it's this full day of just trauma that they put you through from from really early in the morning. They put you through all these group activities and stuff. And then at the end of that day, it's like they, they're assessing you uh, on this big board where... Um, so sorry, man. I just need a, a quick second. No, no, so, that's all right, man. Take interruption on my... Sorry, Simon, I think my we're working out of that out anyway. It's all good, man. Thank, thanks so much. Um, effectively, this officer selection board is this, this big day uh, where you do all these group activities. And at the end of the day, uh, they sit on this big board and, and, and they're all these really senior officers and you're sitting in this little, little wooden chair and they just rip you apart and they see how you respond. Um, and the biggest thing that helped me was uh, a book that I just came across called the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's by a leadership expert called John C. Maxwell. And reading that book, oh man, it's such a beautiful book. And it helped me so much in that number one, it helped me realize that being a leader is not just about, you don't necessarily need to be the big alpha dog in the pack. Who's, um, you know, charging up the hill first or yelling at everyone or, um, you know, like in recent culture, you have someone like Andrew Tate who plays the really kind of dominant alpha dog role, yeah. uh, which there's a time and a place for that. But what they really showed was that leadership is about influence. It's about being able to step back and watching the dynamics of everything that's going on and seeing where you can find the most leverage to influence that dynamic in the direction that's going to be a win for everyone. Uh, so those are some some initial things I learned from the army at a young age, thankfully. What was the name of that book again? Because I want to put this in the show notes. <laughs> the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell. Okay, cool. No worries. All right, so four years in the army and then you come out the army, so you've done that. Did you move straight into project management from there? Because it obviously aligned with what you were doing 
Correct. Yeah. So, so I had gone into a grad program um, at Hewlett Packard, uh, but because of because they knew what my experience was, they they kind of gave me projects from the very beginning. Um, and you know, when I was twenty three, I was managing this. Um, I think it was half a million dollars, like this um, uh, um, showroom fit out project where you know they you know like the Apple Store. There was a HP version of the Apple Store that they wanted to. Um, fit out in Melbourne yeah. and and bless my boss. He was the um, chief marketing officer. Um, Cause you know, when you're in a grad program, they put you with all the senior dudes. Um, and so I was, um, my boss was the chief marketing officer. Um, and he's like, you know what, Dim, why don't you try to do this project uh, fitting out this thing? And I was like, so scared. And I, did, I was anxious and all of that stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but bless him for giving me that opportunity. And I, um, and in the stress, I just reverted back because I didn't even have project management qualifications at the time. So I just reverted back to the the principles they taught me in the army, but also in that book. Um, and that's what I followed. And, and, and it's, you know, one of the beautiful concepts he shares in the book is um, find who the natural uh, alphas are in the environment or the natural leaders that people listen to. And your job is just to build a relationship primarily with them, get to know them and help buy, get them to buy into your vision. Because if they follow it, then everyone who follows them will follow it. Um, another quick example was mentioning the army. Uh, when I was in basic training, I'm just going to be honest, um, you know, basic training, that kind of 30 day boot camp that you kind of see in the movies, everyone's getting yelled at and it's super intense. You're not getting any sleep. Um, a lot of the people there, had never seen a non-white person before, if you get my drift. There's a, there was a good 50% who had never seen anyone who was ethnic in their life. Okay. Yeah, yeah, in my basic training. Um, and 50% means that that's about, that's about 25 people. Mm. Um, and I knew that they were, they, did not, they were not interested in listening to what I had to say. Yeah. But I also, basically, in basic training, there's two platoons. There are about 60 people each. They're like two training groups. Um, and we were always getting compared with uh, the other training group. And apparently we were the worst one, worst ones. And I knew even intuitively at that age, um, when I was 18, that if we keep, if we buy into this story that we're worse than this, the neighboring team, we're just going to start to not act that good because we're buying into this story that we're not as good, you know? And, uh, I figured out what to do to, um, to help us improve. And I knew that no one would listen to me. So I identified um, who the actual leaders were in that environment. And this is about, you know, putting your ego aside. And yeah. there, there, was a, he, there was a brother of a very, like, Australia famous football player okay. who happened to me in my group. And, um, and I said to him, hey, man, this is what I think we can do to improve. What do you think? And he said, that's a great idea. And I said, can you help me go around to everyone and, and kind of share the plan with them? And so... Um, myself him and someone else we basically went around and decimated the plan with the whole troop and because it was coming from those two guys i knew that everyone listened to it uh and then we actually turned around out the performance of our entire platoon and then we end up being uh, you know the, the one that kind of won the trophies at the end um and that was a lesson i learned in leadership from that book now that's awesome man so pretty much putting your ego aside and that would have hurt to do that because obviously it's your idea. So it's nice to take credit for things that are thought by by yourself. But in this case, you knew it was going to be better coming from someone else who perhaps would have had 
or being perceived differently from the group. So that's what happened pretty much. Yeah. And what I noticed was like the, the real, like the, the real people actually do recognize um, who, who's influential there. Yes. So um, at the, in the end, I came second to receive this award called soldier of merit. There's only two awards they give one's the best marksman. The other one's called soldier of merit. It ended up going to this, um, this girl and she totally deserved it. Uh, but it was, it was, I was contending with her and a lot of people were upset that Div didn't get it. Um, and I didn't really care, but uh, it was cool to see that the right people actually do recognize uh, who actually was influencing the group. Yeah. That's uh, interesting story, man. Thanks for sharing that because yeah, good insight to leadership and what you learned, you know, in the army, which is great. So let's fast forward then eight years, you're working in corporate. So HP, PWC, what is, What's PwC? Uh, PwC is is one of the big. It's called a big four consulting firm. So okay. there's um, EY, Deloitte, PwC, and KPMG. Yeah, they're um, global accounting and consulting firms. Yeah, and effectively, it's one of those companies that when you get into it, you're supposed to be like super super happy. And actually, they were. I real like I'm, I have good relationships with my team from PwC uh, to this day, uh, but corporate life just wasn't for me. Okay. Tell me why. So when did the problem start? Because I know pretty soon you take off to Africa for six months. So I'm sure your parents would have loved that when you told them that you're uh, well and going away for six months. <laughs> well said. So, so basically what happened there was um, after four years of working at Hewlett Packard, I, I had achieved a whole bunch and wasn't very fulfilled. Um, and it got to a point where I had delivered this project. It took six months. It was supposed to be impossible to deliver. No one wanted to handle it. And it was palmed off to me and I did it. I just used the army skills again that I learned and um, I delivered it. And I remember thinking, wow, like on the day it was delivered after six months going, wow, this should be a super high point in someone's career. And for me, I'm like, I just felt empty. And I remember getting to work the next day on the Monday um, and I couldn't pick up the pen the entire day that I was sitting there at work. I was just sitting there staring at my screen going, man, what was the point of that? I'm just like not interested. Like it didn't feel fulfilling to me whatsoever. And I sat there and the only things, the two things I did was I booked an Airbnb and I booked sick leave. And I just, I, I took seven days off, told my parents, please don't worry. I just need some time to clear my head. Um, but I knew when I was at that Airbnb, uh, man, something's got to change because I'm just really not fulfilled with what I'm doing. And a real, another really great book came to my aid at that time. And it, it's one of the best books I'd ever read. I recommend it to every single listener. It's called The Way of the Superior Man. The Way of the Superior Man by David Dieter. And um, that's all about if you have more of a masculine energy, like you don't have to be a man, but like, you know, whether you're a man or a woman or, or, um, or other, you you know you either have more of masculine energy or you have more feminine energy like for example you meet women who have more mask some women have more masculine energy uh and you know for example they would resonate with these concepts also mm. and uh in that book he basically gives you a guide on what to do if you're lost and uh i took that book and and read it while i was uh you know taking seven days to clear my head um and in that book one of the really wonderful lessons is uh, when a purpose in your life is done, you can, you'll start to feel like, what's the point? What's the point of continuing with it? Like you could do it, but it feels pointless. Um, mm -hmm. It feels like putting um, 
post-it notes over all over a paper wall. Like you could do it, but but why would you? And and he basically says, in that time, it's time for you to discover a new, deeper, more resonant purpose with your life. Uh, and uh, you know, you and I, when we first met, Simon, we talked about values and the importance mm. of values. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of one of the things I do with guys in my program. Um, but in the book, he effectively says. Think about what actually gives you energy at the thought of doing it. And by the way, if someone's listening to this and they're feeling a bit lost and and unfulfilled with what they're doing, a good question to ask yourself is what, when you think of it, gives you a sense of energy, gives you a sense of motivation, um, because that's a good direction to go in. Uh, And in the beginning, he explains that those things, you know, the, the new purpose for your life or the new thing that you're supposed to do it doesn't start off as a roaring fire. It starts off like a tiny ember. And your job is to blow life onto like blow life onto those embers. And slowly as you put more attention and time into, into that new inkling of what a perp- new purpose for your life could be, that's what turns those embers into flames. And so the way he explains it in the book is he says, spend 30 minutes at least every day doing what you believe is the right thing to do before you tend to the other, uh, you know, demands of the world. Um, and when I was there for seven days in that Airbnb, I realized the only thing that gave me a sense of energy was uh, uh, doing something that I felt was actually contributing to society. Mm. And um, when I was 21 and when I was 23, I had gone to Costa Rica and to Ubud in Bali to do construction building projects, you know, for like building orphanages, building schools. And so when I was 25 in this time of crisis, I kind of asked myself, well, what does give me energy? What does feel like a meaningful thing to do? And it didn't make any sense, but it was like, quit your job and go to Africa and build homes there. And uh, obviously I come home and I tell my parents my plan and they went nuts. They were just mm. like, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, You're yeah. going to piss away your experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and a good friend kind of said to me, look, man, either you do it or you don't do it, but don't, don't be in this middle phase where you're, where, where you're not taking any action, but yeah. you're bitching about it to me. Either do it or don't do it. And uh, when he said that, I was like, yeah, he's right. I don't want to stay in a middle point of stagnation. I don't, I don't want to be someone like that. I want to be decisive. Yeah. And uh, I decided, you know what, even if my parents kicked me out of the house, this is what I've got to do. And, and that's when I packed my bags and went to Africa. Yeah. <laughs> it's ballsy. It's good. I like it. I love hearing stories like this. So uh, tell us about Africa then. So Six months is a, it's a substantial time and you've built houses before, you said, as well, and now you're doing the same thing. So you're in Africa this time instead of Costa Rica. Was it a different experience this time around because obviously you were a few years older? So did you look uh, at this just, completely different? Uh, I, I was, again, I was a lost puppy, man. Even yeah. then, you know, 20, I was lost, man. When you look back on it, you're, you're doing your best, but I was lost and and yeah, it felt a bit dangerous, um, but I think that I had invited that danger because I thought I had felt so disconnected to my own spirit and soul that I thought that a little bit of fear and the rawness that is Africa would actually do me some good and help me mm. connect again. Um, and and it did. Uh, it did scare the shit out of me. Though I had you know different travel travel incidences that happened uh, where you know you have to bribe your way through or, or this happens or that happens and you can get in trouble and 
um, because, you know, because there's a lot of corruption there. And so uh, just all of that. Just tell us about happened. that. Can you, can you give us, do you remember one oh, good dude, example? Right, I've got a crazy one with us. Yeah. Right. All right. So like um, when I was leaving, Ken- I was building homes in Kenya for two weeks. Um, and uh, after that, I was going to go to climb Kilimanjaro and you do like a, a road crossing, you know, it's in, instead of flying there, you, you drive over the border. Right. Mm. And on the border, which is in the middle of the freaking desert, there's the little immigration office set yeah. up. Right. I go there and uh, the, you know, they, they, I show them my passport to check out of the country uh, and they start yelling at me and I'm like, what are you, what are you yelling about? And they're like, look, you've overstayed your visa. And the guy, this is, there's a glass screen between you and them. He literally takes my passport and throws it to the other side of the office. And I'm like, oh my God, what's, what's like, and I'm traveling by myself. Right. And then I, um, I go over to where he tells me to go over to, they're all yelling at me. And then the lady yells, she picks it up and she starts yelling at me because you've overstayed your visa and now you're going to go to jail. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go to jail. I'm going to go forward to climb Kilimanjaro. And she goes, Kilimanjaro was there before you were born, and it's going to be there after you die. That's not your problem. This is your problem right here. Um, and, uh, and basically, all she was looking for was a bribe. But I didn't even understand that at the time. Um, but the, in the end, I just said, listen, where I come from, when someone makes a mistake, because that's all it is, it's just a mistake. Yeah. Um, uh, we we pay uh, a fine. We don't go to jail for it. And yeah. then she goes, "Well, how much do you have?" And at that moment, I should have recognized all she wanted yeah. was a bribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 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 those countries, a bribe isn't even like a it, it does, it's not even a dirty connotation that it has here. Bribes a uh, bribe part of the way of doing business over there. It's almost like a tip. So um, anyway, uh, that that's an example of a situation, but. Even during that time in Africa, what I was doing was, um, you know, because I, I had told my friends, by the way, like, listen, I'm thinking of quitting my job to go to Africa. Uh, what do you guys think? And my friends didn't know what to say. They were like, oh, Dim, I know you're not satisfied with your job, but maybe you can go back to uni, you know? And yeah, is where I'm from. And we know how, you know, the, the people that I grew up with, all we knew was school, yeah. uni, job. So if job's not working, go back to uni. Like that was, that's the only line. And, uh, and so in this time where no one really knew what to, how to guide me again, I, I was reading books, like for example, um, the power of now by Eckhart Tolle yeah. and the way of the superior man by Tony Robbins, like, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. Awaken the giant within by Tony Robbins. Um, those books were giving me guidance on, um, yeah. And they were talking about concepts like, getting to know yourself, getting to know what your values are and what your strengths are and what you really love. Because if you can organize and prioritize your life around what you really love, then it's a lot easier for you to succeed. Yeah. Uh, You know, and, and it's, it's actually like some people listen to this stuff and they're like, man, that's just common sense. Mm. But the irony is when it comes to our own life, uh, common sense is not that common, like because we're so stuck in the weeds of our own life. Yeah. So what these books kind of offer is that outside perspective to give you give you the altitude to to examine it and um and and I think that's the the core thing that that really I, I got from my Africa my time in Africa it was mm. understanding what my values were and and what was important to me. Yeah, no, I love it because we're gonna we're gonna roll into values a bit later as well. So. If- Yes. sequentially now i just want to take you back so you got your six months under your belt and you've come back to australia 
Now, you actually got yourself another job at that time. Is that correct? So correct. back in the corporate world? Correct. Because um, I, initially I was coming back going, do I even want to go back to corporate at all? Because yeah. I had quit it for good, I thought. Uh, but when I got back, I thought, well, what's the most meaningful thing I can do with my life? And at the time, I thought, you know what, I can just build orphanages full time. So I said, okay, well, how can I support myself to build, you know, do volunteer work building orphanages full time? Uh, and I thought, well, if I can become financially free, then that way um, I can, you know, take care of myself. I can take care of my family, um, my parents. Uh, and I feel like then I'll be, I'll have done the responsible thing by, not, not the selfish thing by me, but I, I care about money because I want, you know, if my pa- if something happens to my parents or my sister or, you know, my future wife and kids, I want to be able to look after them. I, for me, yeah. that's, that's my personal value. Um, and so I thought, okay, how can I become financially free? Uh, and, um, you know, a mentor at the time said, Dim, why don't you, why don't you get into property investment? Um, and so I'm like, okay, cool. I've got to get myself a good job that's actually, that I actually like. Yeah. Um, and I can do well at, so I can invest in property. That was my initial plan. Yeah. And you did, you did get going, didn't you? You say so you commenced investing. So you got cracked. You had a crack at it. Definitely, man. Like at the peak, I had six properties. Um, I kind of consolidated down to four. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, like I, I just got into it, um, started to, started to purchase, um, yeah, properties and I had land, I landed a job that paid 200k a year, which definitely helped. Um, and the way that happened was, um, the personal development and those experiences really helped me increase not just, um, my own self sense of self-confidence, but also helped me be clear on what I want and also cleared my boundaries, like what I didn't want you know, what I didn't want to settle for. Like Tony Robbins says, you know, we get what we tolerate, yeah. we get what we settle for. And so you yeah. have to, you have to get clearer on what you want so you can get clearer on what you're not going to settle for or what you are going to settle for. So um, for me, um, a lot of people don't even know this story, but, you know, after like, I didn't have any money left or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. When I got back and I'm applying for a lot of jobs. And then eventually I got offered a job after I think two months of applying uh, that paid 120 K. It was a project manager job. It was actually for um, canteen, which, which is like, they do the bandanas for canteen. Yeah. On, on a canteen. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. on, on, on paper, that actually was a really good job and it was double my old salary. Yeah. But I, but the other thing that I had done by going to Africa was I had learned to listen to myself and my own intuition more um, which is, you know, it sounds like an esoteric concept, but um, yeah, like the more the more you listen to your voice, your inner voice, the more you can actually hear it and the louder it gets. Mm. And at the time, that inner voice of mine was saying, this isn't the right job for you. I don't know why, but it was saying it. And so I turned it down, even though I didn't have anything else. And then two weeks later, another job presented itself. Again, 120K for a Catholic mm. school. Um, and I'm like, you know, this is a good thing. Why would I turn it down? But again, trusting that inner voice, I, I turned it down, which is a big leap of faith. But then the third job that came along was for family and community services. It was a contract um, a project manager job and it paid 200K. And it was to do what I thought was a really meaningful thing for underprivileged youth. Yeah. Um, and, and that inner voice was like, that's the one you've been waiting yeah. for. Isn't that amazing? You know, you, you, you held your nerve, you turned down to listen to <laughs> yes. your gut. And then not only do you get something that's actually in line with what you 
think is the right thing for yourself, 200 grand. So that's a, that's a nice little income compared to what you were, you were earning before. Correct. You totally get it. Yeah, that's right. Awesome, man. <laughs> yep. So I'm very curious now to hear you've established the importance of values. So you understand now how to listen to yourself. So you basically know yourself a lot better now than what you did previously in your life. That's fair to say. And it's only a matter of time now before you start showing other people what you've learned. And you said it started off organically. So it just happened. You started a group, so to speak. How did it all begin? Oh, it was simply just, um, I'm so sorry. I think I just interrupted you. No, that's all right, man. Jump in. It's your, it's your show, mate. You go for it. Uh, to answer the question, I think you were going to ask it was, it was simply just sharing my learnings on Instagram. That's all it was. Okay. You know, I don't think Instagram even had videos back then. Maybe, okay. maybe it had like tiny videos, but I had just um, made little posts where I just shared the concepts I learned. So I started to get young guys coming to me asking for advice. Um, you know, guys who are maybe three, four years younger than me. Yeah. Um, who, who were feeling the same way, who were feeling maybe not totally fulfilled with their career or not sure in what direction they wanted to go or not confident with themselves um, mm. or, or struggling with their motivation. Um, they started to come to me and I started to organically coach them. Um, and I, that kind of turned into something I was doing part-time. Uh, and then come 29 years old, I'm like, you know what? I think I want to try my hand at having yeah. my own business and doing it full-time. Yeah, and uh, how did that look for you? How did you do it? And when did you know that you, you're going to leave your job and that the time is, is now for you to do it? You know what, Simon, that is a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. How did I actually know? Um, but I followed that question, that, that principle in the way the superior man that I mentioned earlier, which he says, before the demands of the world come on you, Spend at least half an hour a day working on your purpose. Don't put it off because if, if whatever your purpose is or whatever your deepest truth is mm. or whatever that is, if it's a fantasy, you want to find that out sooner than later so you can get closer to actually what you're supposed to do. You don't want to live in a fantasy that one day you're going to do something else. One day you're going to do something else. Because yeah. Whatever you feel like you're meant to do, start to do it today. And so what I would do is... Um, every like the bus ride was one hour to get to work so i would be on the on my laptop sitting like on my lap on the bus mm. um building this concept of this business this coaching business i was going to do um and then on the weekends uh, i would be filming like this online course that i was creating yeah uh that's really how it started it was like it was becoming real it was becoming real because i was working at it every day and that's like one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give to anyone listening to this. Um, don't get sucked into the fallacy of one day things are going to be fundamentally different. One day you're going to do X or Y or Z. Yeah. If, if, you, if you want to do something, start just a little bit today and, mm. and actually um, see, if, see if it's got legs. Um, and the cool thing is because I was doing it, um, I, I went to this personal development, it's, it's called, it's a Tony Robbins seminar. I went to, it's a personal yeah. development seminar. And because I was actually acting on something, I was actually doing something. There was someone that I saw there who um, I saw, I had seen him in a testimonial for another program uh, that I was watching on YouTube. Uh, and so I kind of knew who he was because I've seen him on YouTube before. Yeah. And uh 
And because I was actually doing something, I wasn't a pipe dreamer, I was trying, I kind of went up to him and I'm like, hey, hey, um, you're Steve, right? Yeah, Steve, my name's Dim. Um, I saw your testimonial on YouTube. I think it's so incredible what you've done, blah, blah, blah. And because of that, I that connection that I made with him, um, you know, we became friends and he actually was really supportive about what I was doing. And he told me, Dim, um, look, later on, this is maybe many months later, he called me and he says, Dim, we're doing this retreat for all the entrepreneurs um, just to workshop their businesses. You should come. And I was like, no, look, I don't deserve to be there. I'm not worthy. Like I'm just yeah. a freaking guy with a, you know, like just trying this thing. Like those yeah. guys are real entrepreneurs. I don't deserve to be there. And he basically forced me, bless it. I, I appreciate him so much to this day Yeah, because he basically just forced me to come. Um, and I sat there in this room with all these entre other entrepreneurs who are making upwards of $20,000 a month. Yeah. You know, some of them, one of them had recently sold his business for, for 2 million bucks. Like there, there, there's a few different, you know, one of the guys that was sitting next to me was making 80, 80 grand a month. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I'm sitting in this room and thinking that I have no value to add and I was just a leech. Um, but I'm listening to it. basically the style of this retreat was there was a hot seat in the middle and everyone got a turn on the hot seat and they basically presented what their problems were and that were that what they were trying to work on. Mm. Um, and then everyone else gave them feedback on, um, you know, how they can improve. And as I'm sitting there, I realized that a lot of the problems that these entrepreneurs were facing were not technical problems uh, because they're so smart. So the technical things weren't that much of a problem for them. It was actually, there were mindset problems or my interpretation was there were anyway. Yeah. And I realized I had a lot more value to add than I, than I realized. And I was able, I basically coached each one of these guys. Um, and everyone was like, man, dim, like, this mindset thing you do, I didn't realize how good it was. I'm like, man, I didn't either, you know? And, uh, and, and that's kind of, and so then when it was my turn on the hot seat and I said, look, this is my plan. This is what I was going to do because those guys weren't in corporate, but they were entrepreneurs as well. Uh, they listened to what I said and they weren't like, Oh my God, that's the best idea ever. Blah, blah, blah. They were like, cool, cool. So look, in order to do this, it'll probably take you two months. Just make sure you do this, this, and this. Yeah, yeah. And, to do, and the, it just made it really real. Um, that was the beginning of the end for me. Mm. Because being connected with them, making it sound like what I was planning to do was really real, helping them get their guidance. That's really what helped me make the jump. And did you find that, were they different types of entrepreneurs? Were they all in the coaching space? Were they very different, yeah. like from all over the place? Yeah. What sort of people were they? Uh, so some were digital marketers. Yep. Some, uh, one of them had, uh, some had e-commerce businesses like drop shipping businesses. There was one coach there. There was one online course creator there. So bit, quite a bit of an array, not, not a huge array. Like there was no, for example, um, construction guys there or anything like that, but th there was a decent array. Yeah. Ah, nice. And your perception change? of these people, like when you first walked into that room on that first day, how long was the retreat for? Was it five days, six days? Two nights. Okay. So what did you think at the end? Did you feel, or did you feel a sense that, yeah, okay, I belong in this space now? Same because you mentioned that when you walked in there, it was very intimidating, I'd imagine, and a bit of imposter syndrome, you know, I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy. How did you feel at the end? 
Simon, man, you you ask really good questions. Like, really, you get it. I love it, man. Um, dude, I, yeah, I felt like I belonged. I felt like I was one yeah. of them. And the one of the biggest lessons that I didn't really even understand then, but I'm I'm only getting it like this year, which is you know about four or five years later, is um don't put people on pedestals. It's actually a yeah. disservice to put people on pedestals. Disservice yeah, to that. them. Yeah. 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 Even like, for example, just yesterday, um, someone signed on to my coaching program and the guy, the guy looks like he he's about 40. I'm 33. The guy looks like he's maybe 40, which is not a problem. Like I have, I've had people like even 47 years old in my programs, but mm. for whatever reason, like when I Googled him and stuff um, before our call, he had run for like in the New South Wales electorate. And he actually was like, he sits on a hospital board, like really accomplished dude. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, and the old me would have totally put him on a pedestal. And yeah. like, oh my god! Like I'd been nervous. Um, and this time, um, I think because I've, uh, dude, I've, I've I've seen some things now. You know, like an example is my my beautiful fiance Anna. She basically does what I do, but for mm-hmm. women. Yeah. And one of her one of her clients actually was, um, you know, without you know within the bounds of protecting the privacy. Yeah. Uh, this person was like royalty like okay. genuine royalty right she was a member of the royal a royal family yep um and a big profile all over the like big profile person and um i remember when anna first got her as a client i was like whoa whoa like this is huge because you know anna's going to add a lot of value to this person and then that person's going to introduce me to other members and i remember just totally being you know you know starstruck by the whole thing um, but then um, I like, sometimes I can hear the coaching calls, like, you know, when I would come home early or whatever, I could hear them from the other room. And I'm like, man, this person that she's coaching, like, it's just freaking victim. Like, it's just like, just really not a good client at all. Like just, yeah. a, she just wanted to have a whinge about her problem. She wasn't interested in actually making a change. And, mm-hmm. and I, I totally saw another side of this person that I had totally put on a pedestal. And that person like um, didn't pay their bills and, and all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I was like, I, I was like, Whoa, like, so this is a person that if anyone knew who they were, yeah. would totally put them on a pedestal. Right. Um, and I saw the other side of the coin with it. And I'm like, man, that's the last time I'm, I'm like, I'm treating anyone as better than anyone else. Like I'm not doing yeah. that anymore because that's what I was doing by putting people on a pedestal. Yeah. Like I'm thinking that they're better than someone else. And, um, and I just started to like, I'm still working on this, but I've, I've got a lot better now. So even with that person yesterday, I, I was like, dude, he is who he is. And he, if he's coming to me, he's coming to me for a reason. And then when that's I talked to him, yeah, dude, like when I talked to him, same stuff like struggling with his self-worth with his self-confidence with his sense of purpose with his motivation with his fulfillment in his relationship i was like man like he's the same as anyone else who's coming to my program and like i'm so glad that i didn't put him on a pedestal because if i did he would have sensed that dim he he it wouldn't have been a safe space for him to talk about his problems because dim yeah. had already had a idea of him and yeah. uh that lesson has helped me in in a lot of different networking examples and and making sales obviously yeah uh, i love that you shared that story because i know for a fact we've all would have had an experience like that before where we've we've seen this person or we might meet someone and by association they might be someone of relevance in society or 
someone that knows someone of relevance or whatever. And then, yeah, you, you put them on a pedestal and you realize everyone's human. And we, yeah, we shouldn't really judge because, well, one, we're putting ourselves down in the process. And then by obviously putting them up here, we're actually doing them a disservice as well. I think by doing that, you know, so it's just awesome to, to, to hear your, your take on it. And I'm glad you answered that question in regards to how you felt after those couple of days in that retreat, because, you know, from my experience, you know, getting around the right people is, is one of the, the, the best things you can do. You know, if, if you can get yourself in that proximity, my, one of my mentors goes on about this all the time. He always says, Simon, proximity is power. He says, says it all the time to me. And, and he's right. If you, if you get that right mix of people around you, um, you quickly realize that you'd probably be selling yourself short you know, for a period of time. So you're underestimating your own abilities and your own worth. And I think overestimating everyone else, you know, because I think at the end of the day, you know, we all have doubts, we all have fears, and we all you know, put these self-imposed limitations on ourselves at times, and we've all got to work through those, you know. So, and obviously, you know, you're doing it and you're taking people on this journey as well. I just, a couple more questions to finish up. I just want to know, I guess Before how you, you go on to that next question. Can I just add something yep. to what you just said then? Yeah. I, because I know a lot of people I imagine who are listening do feel that imposter syndrome because yep. I, I hear it every day when people do the quiz on my, on my thing. Um, I find the best way to get over that is just be real about what you know and what you don't know. Okay. One of the, one of the things that can really mess us up, I find is when we try to pretend that, like, uh, like pretend that we are someone else, pretend that we know more than we do. That's when imposter syndrome smashes you because imposter syndrome, just like every other function that we have in our head is trying to return us to a, a, bal- a sense of balance and authenticity yeah. to, our, to our real self because our real self is when we're going to thrive the most. So when we're doing too much faking it till we make it, mm-hmm. that's when we get slaughtered by it. And, and for example, my example with that, New, New South Wales electric guy was I was just really 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 real about what I'm good at and what I do and what yeah. I don't do you know um, and then and, and and that comes from your own self-acceptance that you know what this yeah. is where I'm at and this is where I'm not at mm. um, but actually the quicker you can just accept yourself the more confidently you show up in the arena that you choose to because it's the arena that you're good at uh, and thus the more productive your your business deals become yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that's good. Oh, that's it's a good explanation because that's where I was going anyway. And I think most people that come to see you would would struggle with that. You just highlighted that because you've got your quiz that people do. So that's probably some of the you know the feedback that you get is that people do yes. struggle with that. So you take people on a process. I'd imagine you organize or you do retreats. You work one on one with people as well, or is it mainly in in groups now? How do you actually? implement some of your learnings now to to bring people along for the same journey yeah uh that's a nice question simon i find um for anyone uh even other coaches who might be listening to this um frameworks are the key you know because like that's the way you you make sure you get consistent results so basically like everything that i take the guys through it's a process there's frameworks there's there's different stops there's different train stops on the journey um and we've got it. So for me, at a high level, there's there's five core things that I'm taking anyone through. 
yeah. the, the five principles that I help. Um, so, so, cause I know that when guys come to me, they're typically in this place that I call the wilderness. The wilderness is effectively where your, your initial enthusiasm about what you're doing has run out. Yeah. And suddenly you find yourself in a place where you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a rut. Maybe your confidence is down, your motivation is down. You're not that fulfilled. Uh, you're looking to other things to distract yourself because you're not really finding interest in what you do in either your work or your relationship. That's what I call your wilderness, the wilderness stage. And what that stage is really about is it's trying to get you to dig deeper and understand what is actually going to be meaningful to you. Because the cool thing about that is when you can connect to something that is actually meaningful to you, you go on to have a meaningful new chapter of your life. Yeah. So the wilderness is causing you to, to find a, something that's actually meaningful, but also to let go of the past baggage because we're all carrying it. And it's, it kind of presents itself at different stages of our life when it feels like we're ready and capable to handle processing and getting through it. Um, examples of that past baggage is kind of like, uh, the self-doubt, like where's the self-doubt coming from? Where's the self-confidence um, issues coming from? Where's the negative self-talk coming from? Where's the, the thoughts that you're not worthy or you're not good enough? Where's that actually coming from? It's coming from something in your past. And um, when you kind of find yourself having run out of steam and motivation, it's because it's time to examine that, that baggage, that invisible weight uh, and clear it. Because when you can clear it, it kind of clears out your mind. And, and, and so that, I kind of just mentioned the first two steps. It's like, first is knowing yourself, which is getting to know your values and your purpose. Mm. We kind of spoke about that a lot. Yeah. The second is getting out of your own way. Uh, and that's that's actually doing the resolution work on the inner critic and 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 the kind of um, maybe well, it, there's emotional issues. Some guys have big fear or they have um, kind, of, kind of swings of sadness or they have anger or, or they have guilt or shame. Like that, that's the emotional piece. So, knowing yourself, getting out of your own way. When you can do those two things, um, it's about executing. And a lot of people have not learned how to execute effectively, mm. which is basically um, good morning routines, good practices, learning discipline. And then when you're, when you're in that new phase, the, my final two principles are um, adapting and replenishing because a lot of people can, uh, this typically happens with personal development, they come out of the retreat and they're, they're buzzing with excitement and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then they're going crazy and then they burn out. Yeah. And so you've got to learn how to stabilize that, that newfound energy in a way that's sustainable. Mm. Otherwise, if you burn out, it makes you just disenfranchised and think that the whole thing was a dream anyway. Um, yeah. So that's an example of one of the processes I take the guys through over the course of three months in my main program yeah. to, to make sure they're making a real sustainable change. Yeah. Tell us about your retreats. You do retreats as well. Yes. What do you focus on there mainly and how is that different to that three-month program that you just spoke about? Um, uh, so the retreat's actually part of the three-month program. Okay. It's the middle point. So it it's yeah. the middle point. Yeah. So basically, look, about me, like uh, I do kind of a four- to six-week uh, inner work program with the guys before they come to the retreat. And yeah. I use different tools ones called timeline therapy another one's called the Martini method which is we've spoken about john Martini yeah. before he's probably the the father of personal development i would say yeah. and uh um you you learn i i teach the guys these emotional resilience tools because these are the tools that help you get over the self-doubt you know the negative self-talk the emotional baggage all of that stuff so we do the kind of pre-program the four to six weeks leading up to the retreat to help clear out the internal stuff then when we're at the retreat it goes for two nights. I usually have them in Sydney. 
And that's where I really, uh, I do different um, activities using different disciplines. One of them is called bioenergetics, which is really about engaging your body um, yeah. to help guys get out of their head, connect to their heart, to their gut, as you, as you mentioned, um, and connect back into that inner voice. And from that place of connection where you really can feel this deeper part of you than just being caught in your head all the time, you really get present. That is the most beautiful, pure place to create your vision for the next 10 years from because you're really listening to your inner voice at that point so my retreats are about helping guys tap into that inner voice creating a vision from that place and then creating a a plan to execute Uh, and then after the retreat the end of that three months is a six-week follow-up support and accountability program where we, we basically check in every week on zoom as a team and kind of go hey these are my goals for this week this is how i've actually went these are the issues i'm struggling with we work through the issues and say cool What's my goals for the next week? You know, yeah. And that's how you, you stabilize the momentum. Where do you see yourself, man? Like in the next, say, five years, 10 years, do you have a plan already? Or are you content with just doing what you're doing? Are you already thinking, okay, this is sort of where I'd like to go with it? Have you thought about these things before? I, I have. Um, I'm not going to lie, Simon. I would also love to ask you that question just because yeah. I'm genuinely interested, um, you know, in your journey also. But um, for me, uh, I see myself as like an author. Like I'm, I feel like I'm already doing these things, but I, I'm just going to be doing it on a bigger scale. So I'm going to be running um, big seminars with, with guys, you know, over like two nights. Like my retreat, I'm going to have like 200 guys at it, you know, and yeah. I already know the scout. There's like a big scout hall that I know that I'm going to run them at. So, so kind of having these retreats uh, four times a year, uh, having an online course, having a thriving YouTube channel, having, um, um, uh, sorry, being an author. Yeah. Um, uh, so a whole kind of framework of things to support guys in terms of finding their purpose, getting out of their own way and executing it. That's kind of what I see the system I will have built by then. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, kind of uh, doing the speaker circuit. I yeah, think that's, that's awesome. my destiny. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Love it, man. That's awesome. So, well, you're on you're on track. It's exactly what you're doing, really. So, it's just going to be an extension of what you're already bringing to the world right now. And if you get yourself around the right people, you know, with the right skill set, yes. you'll learn. You're going to learn how to do all this. So, yeah, I, I can't wait. And you know, hopefully, yeah, we'll collaborate something, man, because I think we're on very very similar paths. Um, you're yes. further ahead of me in regards to your business, the business side of it, um, but in terms of, I guess, the path that we've come from and, and I guess, our vision or our purpose, I think we're sort of on, on similar paths there. So yes, it brings me to my my final question, and that is about what it means for you to be limitless. This, this podcast was started because I love talking to people who have overcome different challenges, different obstacles, and I try and get a variety of different people, not just guys. I get lots of women come on. I had a great podcast this morning with a woman from, from the US and she gave some great insights, you know, as to how she's turned her life around at 57 years of age, you know, she wow. was down now. And so, yeah, you're never too old, obviously, but how do you view being being limitless for you? Thanks so much for asking that question, Simon. Um if it's okay, I'm I'm going to show you show you through a feeling and a yeah. Uh, it's and and you know the the listeners at home can do this also. Yeah. The way 
the way I, I truly believe this in the bottom of my heart about being limitless is um, if, if can I do a little um, example yeah, with you? I actually show the boys at the retreat this. So if, yeah. if we put our hands together, yeah. um, I want you to imagine uh, if you would, Simon, um, in your left hand, this is containing um, all your past up until now, right? So in your left hand, this is all your past experiences. This is your, your the name that you were given, all the schools that you went to, um, the friends that you've had, um, you know, the family that you've built, the jobs that you've been in, um, all the preparation you've done for today, everything in your life up until this very second is contained in your left hand. That's your past. In your right hand, is your future. So this is kind of what you're going to do for the rest of today. It's going to be, and for the listeners at home, what you're going to do for the rest of today after this podcast, it's um, what you're doing tomorrow, what you're doing this weekend, what you're doing for the rest of this year, what you're doing for Christmas, and what your your goals and your vision are for the next 10, 20 rest of your life. Um, that's in your right hand, your future. In your left hand, everything up until this moment, the past. So I'm just going to ask you, um, Simon and also the listeners at home to take this right hand of yours and just move it to the side for a second, right? We're just putting the future to the side for a second. Yep. And what you've got left now is this hand that's representing your past, which is your age, your name, everything in your life up until now. And I just invite you to slowly move your left hand to the side also. And now you're creating a space in between. That space is not your past story. It's not your future story. It's limitless. It's the limitless present moment between everything. And in this moment, what you can create is limitless. Thanks for doing that with me, Simon. Ah, awesome. Thanks for all the insight, man. Okay, last thing, mate. How do people reach out to you? What's the best way if they love what they've heard? I know you're based, is it in the Northern Beaches in Sydney or yeah, Milsons Point, yeah, you're based? Correct. I'm in Milsons Point. I run my retreats in the Northern Beaches at the moment. Um, they can either go to dimhapa.com, D-I-M-H-A-P-A, dimhapa.com. But Instagram is where I'm, I'm yeah. on most of the time, it's the easiest yeah. place. So if you, if you search dimhapa, you'll find me on Instagram. Yeah, cool. No problem. Dim, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for making the time to come on. And I apologize about the background noise. So I had this scheduled. I don't know if you can hear anything in the background. My kids have been going berserk the whole time pretty much. So because outside I've got a window here and then <laughs> my daughter was bouncing the ball there and my son's in the shower over there. He's dropping things and crashing oh. and banging. So, but no, it's all good. Hopefully uh, it wasn't too distracting for you, mate. It was perfect. And uh, Simon, you're a phenomenal interviewer. So I'm, I'm really blessed um, for this opportunity to be on your co- podcast. Thank you, man. Ah, that, really that, that's awesome, it. man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely hook up soon and we'll, we'll stay in touch for sure. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe. And also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.